Good, good. I'm lead pastor Scott Harris. Uh, let me ask you a question. What is your alpha story? You know, we're doing these videos to, before the sermon, just people talking about their alpha story. You know, alpha means beginning, foundations uh, of the Christian faith. What's your alpha story? What's your alpha story here as we go through the alpha program to really stir up uh, a reminder, refreshing of some core foundational Christian truths that many of you believe in, put your faith in, you live that life out. I'm praying what you are discovering as we go through Alpha is you just get woke up something that you knew before. And I'm hoping it brings a new passion and love of your God and Savior Jesus. Some of you are you know, seekers. You're just trying to sort this out. Like, uh, and you're, it's information and hopefully inspiration of this Christian faith that we all agree in world history uh, radically tra transformed the world and radically transforms people. Um, what is it about this Jesus? And I'm praying your alpha story is there's some discovery there. Um, so if you're not in a group, you can still get in a group. Out in the lobby, go to Next Steps, um, um, you know, the uh, connection cards, whatever, step into it, you know. Begin to shape your alpha story, uh, and it's going to be beautiful. So we're going to start with Bibles. So raise your hand if you need a Bible. The ushers will get a Bible to you. We are um, going to do a topical study. Most of you know I prefer to go verse by verse. I love to walk through the scriptures as it was given to us. Um, but there are some times when you grab topics, and so you're all over. So we're going to be all over Scripture. So when you get your Bible, let's start in Mark chapter 14. Mark 14, and we'll go some, some different places there. But I'd love to start with prayer. Um, while you're turning to Mark 14, let me pray for us. Father, you're good. We love you. Uh, I just trust and pray that you would do your good work, a work that only you can do through your Holy Spirit that you would take this word, you'd sink it deep into our hearts, and we would wrestle with just the foundations and core of who we are. Uh, and because of that wrestling, that we would come out forever changed, maybe in the slightest difference, maybe in radical new ways. Uh, I just pray that you would do a good work in each person, me included. Uh, this is your moment. We step aside and invite your work in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. Good. And I want to say hello to you online. Love that you're with us. Uh, pray that uh, you have a blessed service and, um, you know, you get to enjoy the couch. If you're eating breakfast, love it. If you got the Seahawks game on over here and you're watching, um, uh, no judgment here. <laughs> love you. Okay. I'm glad you're here. So as we look at Alpha, and you know, just to reveal, uh, we are each week starting with a message that kind of tickles the idea, a topic, a question, uh, and then goes into a small group uh, gathering midweek where we watch a video and have discussions, and there's opportunity for deeper study there. And so last week's uh, message was on, a really answered two questions. Is there more to life than this? And then who is Jesus? And I love this. One of our church members, I've noticed on Facebook, 
every week, um, she paints a picture of how she interprets the message. Uh, and so Judy Markham has that, and I say, hey, can I put your picture up there? Because I, I think it's cool that you take that time and, and allow it to sink deep. So this is uh, Judy's wonderful work of processing the message uh, that she heard last week. Um, and, but, so the message, we looked at the question, is there more to life than this? And the answer is yes, and it's in Jesus. You know, the creator of all things, the pivot point, the plot line of God's story, you know, the plot line of our story. And it's him that there is more found than this life offers. And so it begs the question, we step into that, then who is Jesus? If the more to this life is Jesus, who is he? And we looked at John 1, and we looked at this powerful portion of Scripture that says that Jesus is God. He's the Logos. He is the reason why. He's everything. He's the beginning. Jesus is God. And we get a living picture of God in the person of Jesus. You want to see God? Look at Jesus, because there he is. And we get to hear him. We get to see him. And then we looked at that because Jesus is God, he has authority, right? Meaning he makes some powerful promises that I'm gonna forgive you of your sins. Well, only God can do that. Jesus does that. He says, I'm going to save you. Well, only God can do that. Jesus is God, he does that. So, and he dwelt among us. And so we looked at Jesus, and then during the study, if you were doing Alpha, uh, I love what they did in the video. We looked at Jesus, and we looked at the reliability, the historical reliability of Jesus' existence. So we look at the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're not just books in a fairy tale called the Bible. They're actually the most um, proven historical text the world knows. And so you want to know the story of Jesus, read the Gospels, and then what you can know with confidence that they are true. Jesus was a historical figure that walked this earth. And we can have that confidence as we now give him a greater ear then, because he's not just a fairy tale, a good idea, mom and dad's religion. He's a historical figure. He's true. And he did something mind-blowing. He rose from the dead. He was resurrected. And we looked at the video that there is proof of his resurrection in the scriptures and extra-biblical outside the scriptures. It is a historical event of him having victory over death so that we might follow him in the same way and be resurrected like him and live for eternity with him. I mean, it's powerful of who Jesus is, and we looked at that. And so if you're not in an alpha group, get in an alpha group, okay? Be part of alpha. Journey this journey with us, and there's many different ways to do it. You might say, but Scott, whatever your reason is, talk to the next step. There is a group that can meet your need, a way you can go through this with us, okay? Excited about that. So we answered and looked at who is Jesus. Now we want to look at uh, really the next question. Okay, then why did he die? What a weird thing. What an interesting uh, head-scratching 
why did he die? Because his death and his resurrection are really the centerpieces of the Jesus story. Therefore, the centerpiece of our story. So why did Jesus die? I'm gonna answer it from two perspectives. Um, the first one is man's reasons of why Jesus died. And, I'm, and you're in Mark 14. We're gonna look at uh, his trial, you know, where he actually died on this earth, okay? And then his ultimate crucifixion. So if you look at uh, math or Mark 14, excuse me, and I believe it's verse 43, uh, uh, it starts there with his uh, betrayal and arrest. So Judas, right, one of the apostles, betrayed Jesus and told the authorities where he was and set up a meeting where they arrested him uh, in the garden. Well, they arrest Jesus at night and they take him to um, the, not position, had a position, but the leader of a, a group called the Sanhedrin, the re religious leaders there. He was the high priest, um, and, but he had heavy, heavy influence. Annas is his name. So they take him to him and he interrogates him and basically finds, yeah, there's, there's something here that, um, you know, he's guilty. So they take him to Caiaphas, right, who is the high priest. That is the highest ruling position for the Jews. It's a spiritual position and has some political implications as well. So they take Jesus to Caiaphas, the high priest, and there's a whole gathering of religious leaders there. And we know from early scripture that they are setting him up. They want to kill him. Okay, that's their goal. And they interrogate him and they say, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one, the son of God? And what that means, that question is, are you Christ, the anointed one, this Messiah? Are you the son of God? Meaning, are you in the same nature as God? Are you God? So they're asking him, Jesus, are you God? And he says, Yes, as you say, I am. Caiaphas, it says, yes, uh, in chapter 14, just tears his clothes in anger. He's so mad, he's just foaming at the mouth. And he says, this man, this is blasphemy. He deserves to die. Verse 26 there, you see as he shouts out that he should die. And so what they do is because the uh, Jewish leaders had uh, no authority to sentence someone to die. So he did not have the authority to do that. Um, and so they said, let's take him to Pilate, because Pilate uh, worked for Rome, who occupied uh, Israel at this time, and he was the governor of this region. And so they took him to Pilate, because he had the authority and they all gathered there, and there's just a scene of uh, these religious leaders, this group saying, man, look at this Jesus guy, he's blasphemy, he's trying to create revolts or lying and all kinds of stuff. And Pilate's intrigued by this, like, oh, this is kind of interesting, wow. Um, and he kind of asked Jesus, is, you know, they say this, uh, you're saying you're the king of the Jews. Meaning this, that you are the leader, the Lord of all these religious people, these God people. Do you, are you the king of the Jews? He asked him. And Jesus says, I am. Oh man, you know, they went crazy, the religious leaders, right? 
Um, and Pilate's like, well, he has one concern, so you know. He does not want a revolt to start here because he would be in trouble with Rome because he's in charge of leading this. So he's like, hmm, Ooh, okay, um, all right. He says, well, he hasn't really done anything. Pilate doesn't care if he's the king of the Jews. Um, if he said he was the king of Rome, there'd be a problem, um, which we know he's the king of kings. But he said, I, I don't have a problem. So there's all magic. Well, I'll do this because it's Passover right now. Okay, the Jewish uh, festival. And what Rome would do is they would allow one prisoner of their choosing, the Jewish people choose, to go free. Just as a, an act of goodwill, keep peace. So let's do this. Uh, and so he brought up Jesus, who had done nothing, committed no crime, and then got this man named Barabbas, who had murdered somebody and tried to overthrow Rome. So here comes Barabbas, and he, and he thinks this is going to be an easy one. Do you want the person who does nothing wrong, freed, or the murderer? And I love if you ever watch the Jesus films and stuff, you know, they make Barabbas like cross-eyed. You ever see the pictures of Barabbas? They really make him look evil, right? He's like, ah, you know, Barabbas. Now, which one do you choose? And, and we know the story. Barabbas, we want him. Free that murderer. I mean, they're... I'm putting some words into there. But that's what they're saying. And, and Pilate's like, this is nuts. The guy didn't do anything. He's innocent. Are you sure? Because uh, they're getting wound up now, right? And he, remember, the only thing he's worried about is revolt. Doesn't care about Jesus, doesn't care about Jews. He wants order. And they really freak out, scriptures say, in uh, chapter 15 of Mark there. And they're screaming, crucify him, crucify him. I mean, kill him, kill him. <laughs> I'm sure he looks on, and he walks up in Mark 15, 15, and he says, okay, he has the authority. Kill him, crucify him. That is the verdict. So as we look at this story of man's reasons, uh, if we answer the question, who killed Jesus? then maybe we can discover why did Jesus die? So who killed Jesus? Was it the religious leaders? Was it Caiaphas? They wanted him dead so that he wouldn't overtake their religious reign, right? No, there are elements and they played part in him being killed, but they weren't the reason. They didn't kill Jesus. Was it Pilate? You know, he had the authority, and he wanted to protect and have peace in his kingdom. He had a part in it, but he, he was not the reason. He was not the one who killed Jesus. So it must have been then the Jewish people screaming, crucify him, crucify him. The answer is no. The answer is found in Acts 2, verse 23. It says this, who killed Jesus? It said God delivered him up in his definite plan for you and I. And this sounds harsh, but it's scripture. Who killed Jesus? God. It was God that killed Jesus. It was God that delivered him up to that cross to die 
for us, not man. Okay, so if we're gonna answer the question, then why did Jesus die? We've got to go to God's reasons, right? We've got to go to God's reasons to answer the questions. Romans 8:32, it says, you know, God did not spare his own son, uh, but gave him up for all of us, right? And so we're gonna find the answer of why Jesus died looking at God's reasons, okay? And so I broke it down into three areas. And so uh, the first thing, if you turn to Genesis chapter one and through three, I'll be making some references around there. The first reason we see is because of God's family, his family. See, God, it says in Genesis one, verse 26, that God said, let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. God created this family, it's you and I, his sons and daughter, to be in family with the Trinity, the us there is the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's the community of the Trinity. And we are created in its likeness, in their likeness, in their character. God created this family. Oh, and this family is absolute beautiful as you you look through scripture uh genesis 1 and even into 2 you see that god created for them the garden of eden and placed them there and in there they had everything that they needed all their provisions it was pleasing to the eye everything they needed do you imagine can you imagine being in a place where all of your provisions are taken care of you do not have a care in the world imagine that some of your parents say, hey, my kids grew up in that, right? <laughs> yes, but it feels so at peace. It's beautiful. And then he gave them freedom, freedom to move about. They can eat whatever they wanted, right? They weren't locked into a spot. They can go and be free. Uh, they can eat what they wanted. They can make choices. They had the freedom to make choices and decisions. And I love this. And what we see in this picture of this family is God, Genesis 3, 8, of strolling in the garden and how he moved there. And as I was looking at this picture of this beautiful family and this relationship, just absolutely, um, you know, pure. God walking through it. And you know what it's like. You know when you're really comfortable at home, right? How you just stroll through the house I mean, half the time you're in your underwear, just you're so relaxed in COVID. This is great. You know, just cruising around, right? And I don't think God is in his underwear. I have no idea. Um, uh, well, I guess I do have an idea. They're all naked, right? The men were. Um, but there is just this beautiful, pure family. And then heartbreak struck. Now, I know when I get to this point, man, it's going to resonate with you. I think all of us have some element of absolute family heartbreak. Right. Everybody's experienced it at some level. Some have experienced it devastating, painful, crushing. And so it happens as a family breaks apart, God's heart breaks. Because what happens is Genesis 3 is Adam and Eve are tempted to sin. And they're tempted with saying, hey, there's more outside of this. Oh, there's something better. We could be wiser. We can kind of know more than God. We can be like God. There's this, this wisdom to be grasped. Something better than this family. 
and they made a decision to step outside of the family and go their own way. Sin entered the world and it broke the relationship with God. It says in Genesis 3 that they actually hid from God. It stole their freedom. Uh, all of a sudden they noticed they were naked and shame and guilt overcame and they had to cover themselves. Now they're locked in to this death of the spiritual journey that we have. But here's what's cool. Okay. Uh, that God instantly stepped up. Genesis 3, verse 15. And I, and I think, I'm gonna say, I think God shook his finger. There's something powerful about this thing, right? It's, it's a deadly weapon, right? You point at people, so be careful with it. It's loaded, all right? Um, and so I'm gonna, you know, the, this is not scripture, this is me. Um, but I've imagined the heart that I think he did this with is God shaking his finger instantly turned to the serpent. He said, you, you, you broke this family and I'm gonna fight for it. I will not sit by and let this family be destroyed. I am gonna immediately provide repair for this. And that is gonna be the seed of this woman, the descendant of this woman, Jesus, is gonna be an enemy of everything you produce, all your descendants, Satan. And I, loved, I like the violets here, okay? Um, is a, and he's gonna crush your head. He's gonna crush what you're about. His heel will be bruised. There's gonna be this little something, but I tell you what, uh, a bruised heel compared to a crushed head doesn't even compare. God says, I'm gonna provide immediate repair. 1 John 3, verse eight. Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan. I'm gonna destroy this. So why did Jesus die? To restore God's family, his family. And he immediately provided the repair for that. So as we move on in this story and look at other reasons, the second point um, was something that someone gave me years ago. Um, and her name is Rosa. Came from a question she asked me. Um, and this is Rosa, the little old lady there. Uh, and that is Franklin Graham next to her. And I'm going to name drop. I have no names I can drop on the world, so this is my one name, okay? Um, Rosa uh, lived on Orcas Island when I served. She was in the church that I served at. Very, very good friend of the family. My daughters would visit. She's a pen pal with my youngest daughter. Uh, just amazing. Well, she is the sister of Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife. Okay, so that's who she is. Rosa, uh, and this is her actually at Ruth Graham's funeral, getting ready to go speak. And here's the cool thing. I noticed this yesterday, that Bible in her hands, she gave it to our family. We have it at home, right? Um, and so uh, this is at Ruth's funeral. She's going to speak there. But back to Orcas Island and my time with my friend Rosa. Rosa, still uncontested. Of all the humans I know on earth, knows the Bible better than anybody I've ever met in my life. I mean, she knows the Bible. It's incredible. Um, well, um, when I was pastor, I went to go visit some people, and I called Rosa. Hey, you want to come with me to visit these people? Um, I'm not sure what time. Uh, is, um, uh, so she went with me, and she asked me this question. She says, Scott, 
what's the greatest attribute of God? I'm thinking, oh, great. You're asking this, you know, you know the right answer. I know that she did. I was like, hmm. Well, I gave an answer. I won't tell you that answer. Um, uh, you just assume I'm, I had the right answer, okay? But I'll let you play with that in your head. <laughs> um, I still like my answer. But um, she's, I didn't answer the way she answered. She says, Scott, the greatest attribute of God is his justice. Oh, okay, he's justice. And we had a long conversation. So I was preparing this message. I remembered that conversation. And this is an important thing that we're gonna ask ourselves, why did Jesus die? We're gonna look at his justice. She quoted Psalm 89, 14. Said it, uh, his righteousness, which is also synonymous uh, with justice. His righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. That is what he builds everything off of, is his justice. And to understand how that works, you keep tracking with the story of the family. So we have them in the Garden of Eden, right? And then as they come out of the Garden of Eden and history keeps going, um, what God does is his family is, uh, uh, continues and is formalized to the person Abraham, right? Father Abraham has been around. We sing about that. Uh, he is uh, uh, the father of the Jewish nation and, and they're for us. And God made him, we call it a covenant, but it, I, it, that's actually a wrong word. It's, it was starting out as a covenant he, God made with Abraham, but it turned into a promise, meaning God is, is the one that made the promise to him. I'm gonna do this. But the promise you see in Genesis 12, verses one through three, and it's when God says, I am gonna make you a great nation. I'm gonna uh, make your name great. I'm gonna honor you, and anyone who dishonors you, I'm gonna curse. I'm gonna bless families, all families through you. And what God is doing there is God is taking his family, this concept, uh, and he is gonna use this family, the chosen people, the Jews, right, through this history until Jesus comes. We're told in Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. If you wanna turn to Galatians 3, you can. I'll be hitting some verses in there. Um, is that in the fullness of time, Jesus came. So what's going on here, God establishes his family, and this family is gonna carry the seed of Jesus, right? Um, they are going to prepare the world. They're going to be a light for the world, all preparing it for this right time for Jesus to return to come to the earth and die on the cross. And this right time was a right time um, prophetically, socially, economically, politically, uh, even spiritually um, was this right time. And that's a whole nother message, but this perfect right time that this family would carry this message of Jesus, of God, and this promise of Jesus. And so what God did is that he gave them a guardian to be with them in this journey until Jesus came. And that's something called the law in Galatians 2, verse 24. He says the law that he's gonna give is a guardian for the people until the promise comes. That's Jesus. And the law, the, the law of Moses, right, and Salah giving uh, to the nation of Israel the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, and something we'll call the Torah, the Pentateuch. And so as he gives this law, there's two elements of law. There's the moral law and the ceremonial law. Okay, the moral law uh, was to guide them in their daily life. 
you know, their attitudes, their business practice, their, their sexual conduct. Um, and, you know, the Ten Commandments really kind of grabs it. It's a centerpiece of the moral law, the daily life to guard them to, so they can continue being who God has them to be and prepare for Jesus. And then the ceremonial law was there to guard their spiritual life, to keep their focus on God, the head of the family, Jesus, who is coming. And it was the offerings, uh, the feast, the festivals, uh, and the sacrifices of the time were the ceremonial law to keep their focus on God and guard them. And all these things uh, guarded them in the way of reminding them. Reminding them this, that sin is still active. That sin that was in the garden is still active today. Galatians 3.10, Romans 3.20. The law showed them that sin is active. It reminded them, the law, this family, that the magnitude of sin that sin actually destroyed, tore apart the family of God. And that's why you see, you know, the animal sacrifices, right? You see them because uh, one aspect of them is that they are an image that they would understand of the cost of sin. It cost the life, the spiritual life with God. And so as they would sacrifice and these animals died, they would understand that this is a big deal. The family of God tore apart. It also reveals to them just what the violation is of sin. It's actually a crime against God because sin is everything contrary to the holiness and the nature of God himself. So when we sin, we don't sin against people, against uh, society. It's actually a sin against God because it's a sin against who he is and his holiness. And so as his family's going, and this law was established to remind them and reveal these things to them, then justice comes in. Because the penalty for sin, Hebrews 9.22, tells us is life. Blood for blood, because blood represented life in the Old Testament. And so... There is no forgiveness of sin. There's no restoration to the family without the price that can measure up to the trespass. Life for a life, blood for blood. So the penalty of sin is something that we call death in every aspect of the word. But here's what's cool. Justice comes in. Because guess what? Scripture tells us that we're sinners. Right? The wages of sin is death. Romans 3, 23, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin actually entered the world. Uh, Psalm 51, 5 tells us the sin of Adam, something called the original sin, just sits there in creation. But God is gonna do something about that. So we look at this violation. What's the right deserving penalty? I look at myself, Right? Um, it's death. Because I cannot measure up to the life that God has, his holiness, his perfection. I can't give life. Only the creator of life can give life and redeem life. I can't. I can't do it. 
and I am the chief violator of this God. I'm a traitor, I sin, I ignore him, I go my own way. I puff up my thoughts and opinions of things versus looking to God and his holiness. And so just like blood for blood, life for life, I deserve death, Romans 6.23, right? But what God does is he gives us something in his response to this reality uh, and what the law reveals of sin and death. He gives us amazing grace. Amazing grace. And, and that word, uh, you know, we sing that song, uh, and it can get real trivial fast, but it's amazing. To restore all of life, what God did is send his son Jesus Christ. Right, so that as Romans 6, 14 says, is that we do not live under the dominion of the law anymore that points to death, but we live under grace given in Jesus Christ. Right? This amazing grace. He who knew no sin became sin, we're told. He satisfied the requirements of the law. He went to the cross, Scripture tells us, in our place. He went to Scott's cross because I deserved death and separation. But just like we see in the garden, he fought for family. He did the same thing. And he sent his son Jesus to shed his blood on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters of God. Ephesians 1, 7. That's what he did, amazing grace. So why did Jesus die? Because God is fair and he's just and we need his words to matter in everything he says. And when he says the penalty of sin is death, his justice says he has to satisfy that. And then what does his grace do? He satisfies it through his son, Jesus. Jesus died because of God's grace. That's why in our place because he wants us to live. He wants the family to be whole and complete. And as we move to the last point I have, um, it's this uh, idea in Isaiah 53.3. You know, if you want to turn to scripture, uh, John 3.16, you can turn there. Um, Isaiah 53.2, excuse me, and it's the prophecies of Jesus, right? And it says this, when he came to earth, um, that his majesty is not going to be some great thing to be looked at. And his beauty will not draw desire from us. When he's saying there's nothing about him, I don't think it's saying Jesus is ugly or anything. Um, but that's not his main element of who he is. His main chief element of who he is as we meet God, the man Christ Jesus, uh, is his character. It's his character. And character is, they say, one of the most important things. Because what character does, uh, it explains a lot about a person. You know, an example of this is this week, um, you know, here we have over a thousand kids that converge here um, each day and they leave each afternoon. So uh, if you live around here or have ever come midweek, uh, at the beginning of school, after school, and the roads are packed, filled with cars. It's actually a problem. Well, our superintendent and our academy leadership staff, um, 
came up with this cool idea. And so we've changed our parking lot so that we can fit more cars here, get them off the surface streets to bless our neighbors, right? And so we did that. Um, you know, the shortcoming of it is now there's not as many parking places. So us as staff that work here all week have to park a long ways away, okay? And so um, they've asked, you know, you know, if we can, you know, park in different locations in there. So this week, um, you know, there needed a car move, and I went out uh, to help somebody move uh, our executive pastor, Pat Lassard's car, because a bus needed to park there. So I walked out there, and as I'm walking out there, he's all the way at the back. This is a big campus, and our offices are over here, right? I need one of those step things, because it's a lot just to get into the office. Um, um, and so uh, it, he's at the last parking spot. So finally get up to there. He's at the last spot possible. And I kind of laughed and said, man, no good deed goes unpunished. You know, the one car, because there's no cars around him. But here's the thing I said, because of his character. I said, um, this is just who he is. Why is he parked here? Because it's who Pat Lassard is. He's a man of great character and honor, and he's a servant just who he is every day, all day. And of course, if there was a spot a mile further, he'd park there. All right? I won't tell you why he parked. That's another conversation, okay? Um, 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 but he's there, right? The same thing is, why did Jesus die? It's his character, because it's just who he is. Because we know as we meet him, as he comes into the family, and actually the family gets to see him, touch him, talk to him. We see that he is full of forgiveness. He's full of mercy. He's full of empathy. He knows what we are dealing with. He's compassionate. Uh, and he is committed to his mission of seeking and saving the lost. It's just who he is. Why did Jesus die? Because it's just who he is. And it's not just what he does, but it's truly who he is at the very essence of who he is. 1 John 4, 6 says this, is God is love. Jesus, Jesus doesn't just do love. He is love. So everything that comes from him is love because he can't do it any other way because it is who he is, not just what he does. And, you know, and we know this. Uh, I think the world understands this idea of Jesus as motivated and inspired through love. What sign do you see at the back of every uh, uh, goalpost and sport event, right? You have somebody holding up a big sign with what verse? It's an open book test. John three sixteen, right? For God so what? Love the world. See, y'all know it. Even if you're first time in church, you probably know this one because... People like this, all over the place. For God so loved the world. Love is what he does. He sent his only son, Jesus, right? And whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's the most powerful, beautiful scripture we have because it describes who God is. He is love. He, he acts love. He does love. And that love was poured out in his son, Jesus Christ for us, for us. And you see it as he walked this earth. And, you know, in a form that I'm calling reckless love, reckless love, 
And why reckless? You know, there's a worship song called Reckless Love. Uh, and boy, it's a divisive one. People get mad at it. Listen, here's the deal. Uh, reckless is not from God's angle. The reckless part is the object of his love. Scott Harris, I am reckless. I, it's reckless to love me. Because as I said, I'm a traitor, I'm a sinner. Uh, I do things I don't want to do, I shouldn't do, I know better. Right? I mean, there's you know, these cre- creations of God, people he loves and sent his son to die for, who just reject him. I don't believe in you. You're not real. And he's reckless. You see him in Zacchaeus. You know, he comes and he just pours out uh, into Zacchaeus. I mentioned a couple weeks ago. You see an adulterous woman. What did love do? What did reckless love do? In the public square, steps in. She committed sin, adultery, and they're about to stone her, and he stands in between them. Is that reckless? Did she deserve it? Well, the law says she did. But love says no. You see a a Samaritan woman, an outcast, because she's full of sin. And God himself, Jesus, goes and he's present with her, offers her living water. Think of the cross, at the cross when they're crucifying Jesus. What's he say about those people crucifying him? Most reckless thing. You don't need any interpretation that they're monsters and they're mean and their goal is to kill him. They've already abused him. What's he say? Father, forgive them. Is that reckless? They're the reckless ones. He's a beautiful one. He's a powerful one. But it's this reckless love that he pursues us with everything he is. Right? Because he loves us. He loves us. And he wants his family to be whole. And you're part of this family. So I want to land with this, and I'll invite the worship team out. Um, in uh, Matthew chapter 16, um, we see Jesus ask his disciples this question, and each of us have to ask ourselves this question. He looks them in the eye, and Jesus says, um, who do you say I am? Oh, the world's talking all about me. Everyone's got their thoughts and their opinions and their interpretations, and um, you know, a lot of them are just absolutely unstudied guesses. And he really says, you know, right now, as I look at you, Jesus says, who do you say I am? And each of us have to ask and answer that question. Who do you say Jesus is? What's your answer? Because the answer takes us to a place, back to the family, back to who and how God created us to be through the sacrifice of God's Son, Jesus Christ, on our cross to shed his blood to forgive us of our sins and then victory over death and his resurrection so that we can have life now and forever and bring us to that place of shalom or the deepest peace in who we are created to be and you know it's true your heart cries out when Jesus asks that question he knows they know it everything about you says yes that is my creator and so if God is speaking to you we're going to have some people up here for a prayer Um, I'm going to be back there come talk to me Um, you don't 
walk away without having that answer. And you may say, I've answered it one time, but you know what Jesus is saying. Who am I to you? Are you living out who you say I am? And you may just in prayer step up and say, I want to go all in with this God who loves me this big that would send Jesus to die for me. So will you stand with me, North Shore? And we're going to sing about the beautiful, reckless love of Jesus.